the network is basically designed to provide broadband services to an otherwise overlooked uh, rural community. Hi there, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Lisa Gonzalez here. In today's episode, Chris talks with Matthew Rantanen, the Director of Technology for the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association and Director of the Tribal Digital Village Initiative. Matthew also works with a long list of groups that focus on expanding access and adoption in the Native American community. Serving underserved or unserved communities remains one of the greatest challenges for the United States. Native American reservations are some of the most isolated communities in the digital world because they have been ignored by the major providers. The Tribal Digital Village aims to change that. Matthew tells how the initiative began using unlicensed spectrum to give California Native American communities the ability to serve themselves. While the Tribal Digital Village brings connectivity to a specific underserved community, it's also a test case for new technology in rural communities. Here are Matthew and Chris. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm talking with Matthew Rantanen, the Director of Technology for the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association and Director of the Tribal Digital Village Initiative. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. You wear a number of hats. Uh, quickly, just tell us uh, the, the various other titles you have that I haven't uh, gone over. Just give you an overview. I'm on the Native Nations Broadband Task Force at the FCC. I'm on the Communications Security Reliability and Interoperability Council at the FCC. I am the co-chair of the Technology and Tele- Telecommunications Subcommittee at the National Congress of American Indians, and as well as their um, Technology Task Force co-chair and chairman of the Board of Native Public Media. So can you tell us a little bit about Tribal Digital Village? What is it? The Tribal Digital Village is uh, essentially an initiative that is carried on through the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association. But originally, it began as a grant um, provided by the Hewlett-Packard um, Corporation, uh, their philanthropy effort back in 2001, to um, bridge the digital divide um, to communities that were left behind. So in 2001, um, a professor from University of California, San Diego, Ross Frank, a uh, technologist named Hans Werner Braun out of the Supercomputer Center at UCSD, and then the Tribal Chairman's Association worked together um, Ross wrote the grant to Hewlett-Packard and Hewlett-Packard awarded it um, to get us off the ground and running with a big network um, as well as building resource programs, after school um, programs and um, helping enhance the libraries and existing uh, facilities and labs, computer labs on the reservations. And um, that grant lasted three years and it essentially increased the resource programs uh, at each of the reservations, if they already had a resource program, it enhanced it. If they didn't have one, it started one off. Um, it, it made buildings. It, it uh, installed computer equipment up to $4 million worth of desktop peripherals, etc. Um, we even started up a uh, business-to-business marketing solutions company uh, with a digital press um, out of that grant. And uh, that company still runs today. It's called Tribal Print Source. It's the printing solutions uh, facility that was designed to bring revenue into the system. So TDB created uh, a network, a high-speed wireless network that supports 19 reservations in Southern California. So 17 of those are in San Diego and two in Riverside County. And the network is basically designed to provide broadband services to an otherwise overlooked uh, rural community. 
And these 19 reservations are spread out throughout the Southern California area, mostly they're in the east side of the county, not next to the ocean. And the geography is mountainous terrain, um, valleys, a lot of elevation change, a lot of trees. And um, it, it's in an area where the incumbents just are not interested in the return on investment. It just doesn't exist for them, so they're not um, doing ma- major build-out. A lot of our reservations ha- still have um, problems with uh, power and um, you know general electricity connections. We have a lot of reservations that still don't have plain old telephone service to you know a lot of their populations. We see that broadband being uh, the important tool, the important method to deliver technology, uh, communication, um, entertainment, you know, interactivity with the rest of the world in the rural communities that um, it was more important to get something like that out here. So the Tribal Digital Village Initiative exists on that front. Today, uh, it is a network of uh, over 600 miles of point-to-point and point-to-multipoint links um, supporting uh, currently 100 tribal municipalities, and I think we've eclipsed 600 homes out of 2,900 homes on reservation. How did this project come about in the sense that, I mean, you're the kind of guy that I've gotten to know over the years who doesn't really need to ask permission. You figure out how to do things. And so um, where what was the state when you first came in and said, all right, we're going to do this wireless thing, and this is how we're going to make it work? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Um the project actually started in March of 2001. I came on in October. And so they had already gotten moving. Um, they started with a resource program piece. They started deploying money to help build buildings and set up things. Hans Werner Braun out of, out of UCSD's Supercomputer Center has been doing wireless technology for forever. And um, Hans was our mentor. At the time, Michael Peralta was our network administrator. And um, uh, we paired him up with Hans Werner. Hans Werner sat him down for literally 30 to 45 minutes, showed him how to make a network connection with two radios, and said, okay, go do that on mountaintops. And so prior to that, we had a bunch of tribal youth go out and actually hike the mountaintops, take pictures, use GPS, and find locations where they could see from one reservation to another or from one reservation to several reservations. And they located all the cool vantage points that were on reservation for us to start using. Um, so that kind of was all gelling at the same time. Once Michael um, understood how to do the network piece, we actually were able to start deploying um, uh, actual connections from a data center to the um, the individual locations of the resource programs. And so the initial objective was to connect those resource programs and then expand from there. It was really fly by the seat of our pants. Michael and I and a couple others, we were just doing it you know, the opportunity was there. The, the technology we'd seen Hans Werner do um, to bring seismic activity back from the desert areas of the fault areas in California and back to UCSD. We saw how that worked. He actually connected a couple of the reservations as he was doing his work and handed it over to us, and we just ran with it. You said the, the hiking up to the top of the ridges and whatnot. How did you solve the electricity problem? Well, interestingly enough, uh, we use the power of the sun. So all of our backbone and most of our intermediate towers uh, rely on solar. We have little mini solar farms everywhere on our network. You know, a couple times on our network, we've had we've been close enough in proximity to a reservation that was interested in running electricity to the tower, and you know, maybe uh, three three hundred yards is the closest, and then those would have been connected to the grid. Otherwise, we're we're running on the sun. We're looking for 
um, alternative solutions using wind to back up that sun for our storm days that are in San Diego. I and mean, we have perfect climate. We do have San Diego sun, 70 degrees and sunny all year round, but the mountains themselves get hung up in the clouds uh, during some part of the rainy seasons and we'll lose, you know, five to 10 days of sun. And if we do that, we actually have a problem um, keeping the sites up. So we're looking for a wind solution that's uh, effective, um, safe for wildlife, uh, not noisy, not visually, you know, ugly and, uh, and something that, you know, just really assists us in that front. You've mentioned that some of these reservations in Southern California have lacked telephone access. Uh, how common is that on reservations across the United States? Uh, it's very common. You know, less than 70% of, of uh, tribal homes have access to plain old telephone service. And so that is a, that's a pretty massive number. Now, I do know that cellular has probably penetrated some of that 30 plus percent that doesn't have a landline, but we're certainly not at 100%. And then, um, you know, broadband's ridiculous. It's less than 10% have access, let alone adoption. And some of the stimulus projects are addressing that in, in just a few areas, which is helpful, I'm sure. But how replicable is what you've done? Not, not so much the solar and that approach, but in terms of just building a wireless network. Uh, it's completely reproducible. Um, um, one prime example is uh, the Coeur d'Alene Indian Reservation. Valerie Fasthorst is their direct, uh, director of technology or their IT director up there. And she came down to the Tribal Digital Village and looked around and thought, wow, you can do this all with 2.4 Wi-Fi? What's 2.4 Wi-Fi? Uh, 2.4 gigahertz wireless is, is essentially the frequency or wavelength of the communications technology um, that is an actual unlicensed or license-exempt um, spectrum that has been essentially al- allowed the American public to, um, to build their own wireless networks without uh, registering them, essentially. So you didn't need permission, and Valerie wouldn't need permission to go back, Valerie Fasthorse. Right. So we didn't need permission to, uh, to build this network. There are several, um, several but not a lot, um, wireless spectrums that allow you to uh, build networks without registration. And um, they're basically, they were considered, I assume, exploration or development networks or, or hobby networks, if you will. But a lot of us have turned them into very professional, functional, um, active networks over the years. And so Valerie went back to Coeur d'Alene and has completely outdone the Tribal Digital Village, uh, used it as kind of an idea and then expanded upon it. She's got a hybridized network, you know, fiber and, and wireless and I believe even mesh at this point, And it's pretty impressive. So. Excellent. So this is something that that people can do uh, on the reservation or even anywhere, really, without having to to get any changes from the FCC. But you're involved with the FCC. What sort of things does the FCC need to do to give people like you more tools to be able to build better networks? The FCC has done a few things in the past few years that have really helped out um, at least tribes. And I think that's probably going to help rural situations as well. They first adopted the Office of Native Affairs and Policy. They finally put that that piece of their puzzle in place at the FCC. So now we actually have an office, a staff, uh, a chief of staff, and, and somebody to deal with within the FCC that actually spans across all of the bureaus and talks to the eighth floor, which is the chairman's office, and works with um, the commissioners to develop best practices 
uh, for tribal situations. So that's really been helpful. The real like nuts and bolts of it is um, unlicensed spectrum. The more unlicensed spectrum access that that tribes and rural communities have, um, the better the the opportunities are. We have. Um, you know, so much different geography and so much different roadblocks and obstacles to actually deploy to all of these homes that are spread out in this rural community uh, that we need all of the different types of frequencies. So the short wavelengths and the long wavelengths, the differences being that some will go through trees better, some will kind of bounce off rocks and go around corners slightly, you know, and then we're talking about the white spaces issues, um, the TV band stuff where um, you can actually kind of have rabbit ears um, broadcast internet and um, and have some solutions there that that are not line of sight technology, which is really an advanced state. So that that's the kind of thing that that can really move the ball forward. The other is funding. Um, you know, I understand it doesn't need to be paid for by the government um, because a lot of these uh, folks will find other ways of of getting funded, whether it be private funding or or alternative government methods of funding, or education funding, or even private resources within themselves, opening up the access to funding opportunities, partnership opportunities at the federal level is really key. And I think lastly is not uh, imposing any rules that um, stop us from building these networks to serve ourselves when there is no other alternative. And what kind of rules would those be? There's 19 states that are currently blocking municipal networks. Um, so small towns and, and townships and, and corporations or can't build their own wireless networks to serve themselves when nobody else is serving them or the competition is not favorable. Um, that's the kind of stuff that, that we need to have the FCC step in and, and help out and make sure that, that you know, if you have the ability to serve yourself and you have the wherewithal to, to make it happen, that somebody isn't imposing some rule that you can't actually help yourself. Right. I think California is not actually listed among those 19 because um, cities have the authority to do pretty much what they want in this area. But public service districts in California are extremely limited. And so I think the term is public service districts. It's more in rural areas. They provide infrastructure. Uh, but under California law, if they build a, a broadband network, they actually have to privatize it as soon as someone comes along and makes them an offer that is for fair market value of what the network's worth. There's some very odd rules about it that would, um, I think, not impact you necessarily on the reservation. But if you wanted to build a network that, that involved aggregating multiple communities in an area, um, certainly could impact you. Yeah, so the, the reservations being sovereign entities um, and all of our all of our network is currently on reservation land and you know owned and operated by tribes. It's really um, one of those situations where it does rule doesn't apply, but um, you know I'm sure there are some gray areas there where we start serving non-tribal customers. You know how does that affect things? I, but yeah, it's definitely something to look at when giving advice to rural communities that aren't tribal. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, the native public media, which you're a, a part of. Um, tell us what your role is and what the organization does. I'm the chairman of the board of directors of Native Public Media. They basically are the I, don't, I think the biggest voice in supporting Native uh, media. So primarily uh, terrestrial radio station, and then now internet radios. Native Public Media supports approximately 46 tribal radio stations, um, and there's several more coming on board. We do several things at Native Public Media. We work with the um, with each of the reservation stations to um, 
to make sure they have their compliance issues in, in order with the FCC and with any uh, grant funding that they have. We help them with accounting and auditing. We help them with uh, station content and connecting to other um, organizations that provide content or create content. We also help uh, direct them in uh, creating their own content. We kind of organize um, you know, a way for them to communicate with each other and, and also offer up a, a big resource page with nativepublicmedia.org. Um, there's tons of resources there and tons of, of, you know, different content and different information for them uh, as a major resource to stay in play. Now that also is spinning off into the um, internet radio, which uh, some of those same stations have an internet presence. And then I believe there's even uh, one or two of the stations that just have an internet presence, don't actually have terrestrial radio at the moment. But it's uh, it's a key piece of the native um, infrastructure. It is... Uh, important because it's like the first responders network. It's the sole way that they communicate with their community when there is an emergency. They, they can run on a generator. Everybody can hop in a car and turn it on and listen to a radio. Um, when the power's out, you know, when there's different natural disasters, there's you know, we have a lot of uh, fire issues in Southern California, and so that's a really key uh, thing. Lately, we've been working on also. Um, you know, other forms of media, so web media and uh, streaming content. We're trying to help just like broaden the horizons of the media possibilities. We've also kind of joined forces with uh, Native American Journalists Association and Nadja and NPM uh, had their first um, Native Media Summit together. It's become really powerful. So you have some really great journalists now working in multimedia rather than just paper and, and really just kind of getting the Native voice out, out there and supporting the Native voice. There's there's so many different things I'd like to to go into. I mean, I think we've just covered the top of of a lot of interesting areas, but uh, we're running out of time. So, is there anything else that uh, that we should make sure we cover in this first uh, interview? The more times that we actually get the story out, the better off the future is. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be, you know, a part of this, and uh, and hope that this opens yet another door. Sounds good. I'm sure we'll have you back in a few weeks um, to, uh, to follow up. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Information about the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association and the Tribal Digital Village is available at sctdv.net. We hope to have Matthew back soon for another show. We want to dig even deeper into all of the benefits coming out of the initiative. Until then, we encourage you to contact us with questions or ideas for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. This show was released on December 10th, 2013. Thank you again to the group Haggard Beat for their song, Laszlo, licensed using Creative Commons. Have a great day, and thank you for listening. <laughs>